Well, again, happy new year. You have successfully made it to 2020. In fact, you've actually successfully made it to a new decade. Like that, that feels good, right? So everybody go ahead and look to the person next to you and say, you did it. I'm so proud of you. That felt just incredibly genuine, didn't it? Not so much. It does not get much cheesier than that, but we are really so glad that you all decided to come walking through our doors here today. Uh, we know that you could be, honestly, a lot of different places this morning, namely sitting on your couch, nice and comfortable at, at home, and for whatever reason, you decided you chose to show up here today, and, and we certainly do not take that for granted. If this is your first time with us, you're catching us at a really, really great time, as today, as I've already been alluded to, we're kicking off a brand new series called What's Next, because tis the season for resolutions and change and undoing and starting fresh. This is the time of year where people will declare that they they will never drink alcohol again. I'm never going to drink soda again. You're never going to drink dairy again. You're moving on to like almond and soy. And I saw recently, oh, I'm pretty sure they're making this stuff up at this point. That's a weird thing to cheer for. Uh, we'll never eat cookies again. You're saying you're never going to eat pizza again. You're never going to eat cake again. You'll definitely never eat donuts again. We, we commit to working out every single day rather than feeling guilty as we see that recurring Planet Fitness charge come across our credit card statement. I know it's only $10 a month, but that's still a waste of money when you literally have not been in the last year. Well, you did go that one time, but that was on pizza day, and you wore workout clothes, but you didn't even work out. You just went and ate pizza. Uh, we'll finally begin that, that career and that field that you actually care about. You, you'll stop dating him, uh, and you will begin to date him. You'll finally start going to marriage counseling. You'll start to date your spouse again. You'll put on those app restrictions. You're going to pay off that debt. Too many bold declarations to count. And I get it. I, I'm seriously, I'm not making fun of you if you're one of those people that makes some New Year's resolutions. When, when a new year begins, there's this feeling that you have a fresh slate, that, that your future is in your hands, that you essentially determine your own destiny. But, but what I find kind of interesting is in the midst of all these resolutions, in the midst of all these declarations, in the midst of all this change, we will declare war on all these different areas of our lives. On the physical, on the emotional, on the mental, on the financial, on the social. Because we've actually all figured out, even if we haven't necessarily admitted it to anybody else, that left to our own devices, if we just leave these areas right here up to the motions of life, that, that ultimately is not going to be what is best for you. That you have to take a control, that you have to come up with a plan, or these things will certainly take control of you. If you go around and you just spend and you buy whatever sounds good, whatever you feel like buying in the moment, you need more of those, you're going to buy a new one of those, you will soon find yourself in more credit card debt than you thought imaginable. You'll be looking at your credit card statement thinking, why would these idiots at Visa even allow me to spend this much money? That if you just date whoever you want to date, Whoever sounds like a good time in the moment, eventually you'll stack up regrets as high as your visa bill is long. That if you aren't intentional about regularly pursuing and dating your spouse, you will soon find yourself simply coexisting rather than thriving in relationship. See, th this is hard to admit, and uh, again, some of you, you've already figured this out about yourself, but our, our natural inclinations will rarely lead us in the best directions. What comes naturally to you is rarely what is best for you. 
It's why the fitness industry will, I suspect, always be alive and well, because people will always convince themselves that it's okay to have just one more. It's why we have therapists. It's why we have counselors for literally every addiction under the sun, because people continue to listen to those natural impulses. Naturally, will almost always take you in a direction that you will later regret. Which is why, this time of year, we have all these bold declarations and, and resolutions and predictions. Because what we're actually doing is we're saying to ourselves, no longer will I allow natural to win. No, no longer am I going to allow these, these natural impulses to reign supreme in my life. A, a certain R&B artist put it well when he uttered these lyrics. My mind is telling me no, but my body is telling me yes. Just happened, yep. So we have to have a plan. I'm such a loser. And we come up with these plans to pay down debt and to restore our marriages and to date wiser and to get physically healthier. But so often, when you think about it, so often we leave a certain area to chance, the spiritual. We, we leave this entire spiritual side of things to chance. In, in fact, if I was to go around the room right now and I was to ask each one of you to stand up individually and by the way, I'm not going to do this, so if you're new here, you can just relax. And I was to ask you to share with everyone what your plan is spiritually. As you head into 2020, most of you, you would stare at me blankly as your face got more and more red, and eventually you might utter something along the lines of, Jesus, or, or church. And, and while that answer might get you a Jolly Rancher back in Sunday school, for those of you that grew up going to church in the 90s, you understand that reference, it's not much of a plan. And, and that's really what this entire series is all about. H helping you come up with some sort of a plan spiritually. To taking the time to ask the question, what's next with this whole Jesus thing? Now, now I recognize, sitting here today, we, we all find ourselves at different points in this whole faith journey. And, and for a lot of you that are sitting here, you're just at the really early stages. You're just starting to explore. You're just hoping to get some of your basic questions answered. We, we see this every single year in January and in churches all over the Midwest that, that we see tons and loads of new people come walking through our doors. And I think there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but, but my theory, and again, so take it for what it's worth, it's just my theory, I'm convinced that a lot of people are just, just bored. Or, or a lot of you that have young kids, you're just looking to unload your kids for about an hour each week because it's the middle of winter and you have officially ran out of things to do. And this like whole church thing, including drive time, that'll chew up about two hours of any given weekend. Not bad, right? Because winter is like this one giant beat out the clock situation. We, we, we also see around this time of year, a lot of people come that, that happen to walk through our doors for one of our Christmas services. And, and apparently it wasn't terrible. I had somebody recently share with me. They're like, you know, I didn't hate it. I'm like, okay. I think that's a compliment. Maybe we'll put that on a billboard. People don't hate it here. But God, he stirred up just enough inside of you that you thought you'd keep coming back, that you thought you'd keep exploring. And again, so many people show up this time of the year because, well, it's like, this is the year I'm gonna finally start going to church. But no matter what it is that got you to show up here today, we're, we're, we're glad you're here. And, and no matter where you're at spiritually, we're gonna challenge you to ask yourself the question, what's next? To, to come up with some sort of a game plan and not just leave your relationship with Jesus to chance. 
And so over these next seven weeks, we're going to be exploring the Grum Law 7. You actually walk by these every single week as you walk through our lobby. Uh, a lot of you, they've just kind of become white noise or they've just kind of become decorations, but here's what they are in case you've missed them. Weekends, baptism, daily encounter, generosity, groups, serve, and share. Now, almost every single time I, I happen to mention the Grum Law 7, I, I usually throw out something along the lines of, we are not nearly arrogant enough to try to convince you that like we invented these things. We, we definitely did not. We just tried to put some easy to understand language around them. It's also worth noting that there isn't a right or a wrong order to these. In fact, this is one of the beautiful things about God, that he encounters us all at different times and at different points in our lives. But, but here's why we think this is important. Here's why we're talking about this. Here's why we would dedicate seven of, of the 52 weekends that we have at our disposal, really not that many in a given year, why we would dedicate those seven weeks to discussing these seven disciplines. No matter where you find yourself on your faith journey, your next step is somewhere among the Grumlaw Seven. We're, we're, we're trying to make your spiritual plan really easy on you. Because chances are a huge part of your plan probably rests among those seven disciplines. Let's not leave our spirituality. What, what I would consider, and granted I'm probably a little bit biased because I am a pastor, but what I would consider to be the most important area of our lives, let's not leave our spirituality to chance. Let's not allow natural to win in our spiritual lives because natural will only take you further and further and further and further away from God. Let's have a plan. Let's all of us, brand new or a veteran to church, ask the question, what's next? And then after we explore these seven disciplines, let's actually put this stuff into action and watch how God shows up and shows off in our lives. There's a letter that we have in the New Testament, which is kind of the first half of the Bible, and it's titled James, and it's aptly titled because it was written by a guy that went by the name of James. Now, what's really interesting about the life of James is James was actually the younger brother of Jesus. Think about that for a second. You grew up with Jesus as your older brother. Like, you talk about some tough shoes to, like, follow in, like, after Jesus. That would have been difficult. Now, one of the really interesting things about the life of James is that James did not believe his brother was who he claimed to be. He wasn't buying into the whole, like, my older brother is the son of God thing until, until Jesus rose from the dead. Because as it turns out, when your brother predicts his own death, and then he predicts his own resurrection, and then he actually pulls that off, you just kind of go with whatever your older brother had to say. And here we have the, the, this letter written by James, and I am fascinated by this letter. Because imagine all that James heard. Uh, imagine all that James observed. Imagine the wisdom that was bestowed upon James as he literally lived under the same roof as Jesus. And he gives us so many truths, so many promises throughout this letter, but I think perhaps, you know, one of the most profound, yet it's so, so simple, and it's so easy to miss, but it has profound implications for every one of us is when he says this in the fourth chapter, come close to God, and God will come close to you. As you take tangible steps towards God, as you really make room for God in your life, as you embrace these disciplines in your life, as you actually move closer to God, he is so, 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 so faithful. He will always move closer to you. And I think that every single person in this room, you, you want that. Even those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus, you're at least hoping there's a God out there. And if that God is out there, you're hoping there's a way that you can draw close to him. I don't think there's a chance that you would be sitting here this morning if that wasn't the case. 
You owe it to yourself to at least continue to explore, to at least take a real, tangible next step. Now, that potential next step that we're going to be talking about today and about the whopping 12 minutes I left here for myself uh, is groups, or as we call them around here, connect groups. Uh, now, usually when I mention connect groups, I, I usually say something along the lines of connect groups are literally the most important thing that we do around here. Uh, and in fact, that hasn't changed, but I think a lot of people oftentimes think that I, I say that because I'm trying to be dramatic or I'm trying to somehow like emotionally lure you into signing up for a group, but I'm telling you, we absolutely believe this. They are so much more important than what we are doing here on Sunday mornings. Now, something real quick worth clarifying. Connect groups are the most important that thing that we as Grumlaw Church do. I don't believe that they're necessarily the most important thing that you ought to do. And, and spoiler alert, that's gonna come in part three when we talk about daily encounter. But as far as what we have the ability to promote, as far as what we have the ability to program, connect groups are it. Far and away the most important when you finally get out of the rows here on Sunday mornings and you get into circles in people's living rooms. And, and here's why, the logic is quite simple. We are created to be in community. Every one of you, no matter how, wire, how you're wired, no matter how introverted you may be, every single person on the face of the earth is created to be in community. With other people, by the way, so sorry about you crazy cat ladies. We are social beings that crave real, human, intimate connection. Now for some of us, undoubtedly, those social circles will stretch farther than others, but we all need it, we all desire it. That's why so many men in this room, will, in particular, will sign up for sports leagues like long after their prime and long after their ACL's primes. It's why bars have people sitting at them seven nights a week. It's why community workspaces flourish. It's how we can, in fact, convince people to show up here at 6.30 a.m. on their only day off to help set this place up. It's why complete strangers will take art classes together. It, it's, why, it's why families, and a lot of you experienced this over the last couple of weeks, it's why families continue to put up with that overbearing mother-in-law. We could go on and on and on and on. But, but you know what else that you probably already figured out? Genuine community is hard to find. Like, like really, really difficult to find. That, 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 that kind of connection where, where, where you really feel like you know the people around you, where, where, where those people know you, that, that, that type of a community that you actually enjoy being a part of, that's not easy to find. Now, it's kind of easy when you're younger, right? Because you basically have all these built-in communities that are just a part of your life. Sports teams and band and school and after-school activities. Then there's, this, then there's college, which is kind of just like this giant, big community. But, but then you graduate. And maybe a handful of your friends end up living pretty close to where you end up landing. But at that point, it, it kind of dries up. And, and for a lot of you, and I'm not trying to be funny with what I'm about to say right here. This is just a sad reality. Your community was, or, or it still is, drinking. It's going to bars. It's getting hammered at a buddy's house. It's going and pre-gaming at a friend's house. Your community are your friends that you drink with. And that seems good enough. I mean, that seems fun for a while, but here's what happens 100% of the time. People eventually start getting married. And even worse for your drinking community, people start to have kids. And you figure out once you have kids, it's really, really difficult to keep that lifestyle up. And so that community starts to fall away. And what was once something that was happening like a couple of times a month, it's now occurring a couple of times a year. And even those couple of times a year, it's really not all that appealing. 
This is something really interesting about human beings and human nature in general. When we remove ourselves from regular, from ongoing habits that we never previously evaluated because they just kind of became second nature, and now we're only periodically stepping back into that lifestyle, we're only periodically stepping back into those habits, it forces us to look at it with a set of fresh eyes. And what ends up happening is we have like these, oh my gosh, moments where you're looking at yourself in the mirror going, what is wrong with me? I used to do this every weekend? This is embarrassing. And you're frantically searching through old Instagram posts and you're looking back at old Facebook posts and you're untagging and you're deleting because you're like, I don't want to be known for this. This is what I used to call a good time. And now you're looking at your spouse your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your fiance or your best friend, you're going, we need some new friends. No, no, you need some genuine community. I mean, come on, isn't it that longing for community that drove so many of you to even show up here today? I mean, the whole Jesus thing, that, that was kind of secondary. Now, by the way, that doesn't really hurt Jesus' feelings because he wired you to be like that. For, for a lot of you, isn't it the community that you saw here among other people? Isn't that what drove you to come back a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth time? I mean, come on, it doesn't hurt my feelings. It wasn't my speaking. It, it wasn't that the music just like blew your socks off. It wasn't witty social media posts. It was the community. You want in. You, you want some of that community. We, we, we hear this all the time. and In fact, this is probably literally the most common compliment that we hear about this church, something along these lines. Everyone just seems so genuine. It just it feels like you all actually want to be here. It seems like, like you all actually like each other. And what people are, are talking about, and they maybe just don't know the verbiage to put around it, is, is the community. It's the connection between people. And because we're all universally wired to be like this, to be in community, they, you, want in on the action. You want some of that community. But guess what? And perhaps this will be a bummer for some of you that are sitting here this morning. That connection is not happening here on Sunday mornings. You see it. You feel that connection on Sundays, but it's not when it's being built. It's being built in living rooms every other night of the week in connect groups. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had our Christmas services here at, at Grumlaw, like so stinking exciting. We always add a couple more services because so many people, uh, more people end up come walking through our doors. And we had a 6 p.m. service uh, on that evening. And one of the kind of unique things we did there is we like to give all of our Grumlaw kids workers a break. And so the only thing that we had open back there was our nursery. So like birth to 24 months. Uh, and so that meant there were a lot more kids that, that were sitting in this room than there normally are. But fortunately, our Grumlaw kids peeps like came to the rescue and they made these like activity bags to basically distract your kids for like a couple of minutes while they were sitting in this service and hopefully not interrupt my sermon. Uh, and so there's one couple in particular uh, that always sits like pretty close to the front row. Uh, by the way, if you want to win the keys to my heart in a hurry, come start sitting closer to the front. I don't know what it is about this church, but you all come in and you're like, can we sit behind those banners back there? Because that would be great. They're like, come sit near the front. This is my official invitation for you to come and sit with me right here in the front row. Usually as a ghost town, thank you, you four, for representing up here. That's nice today. But come sit near the front. Like, I promise, like, I don't think... I don't think I smell or anything. Like you're, you're more than welcome to come up. But anyway, there's a couple. Chuck and Erica, they're always uh, sitting, like always usually in one of the first, second, or, or third 
rose. And on that particular night, Huck, their son, he had a friend with him as well. He got one of those activity bags. And it's like 30 minutes before the service starts. And Huck is just like ripping through his activities. I mean, just at a record pace. And I'm noticing this. And I turned around. I was like, Huck, what the heck are we doing, man? That's supposed to be when I'm preaching and you're bored to tears. You don't play with your activities right now. We got stuff on the screens to entertain you. Lance is about to start ripping it up here on the keys. Like, cut it out. Like, save this stuff for a little bit later. And then I looked at his mom and she kind of smiled. And he's like, wait, is this guy being serious? Then he kind of smiled because he recognized mom was smiling. I heard him a couple of seconds later. He was talking about how hungry he was. And Eric is like, okay, relax. Like, we're going to get food after the service, but you just need to, like, keep cool here for about the next hour and 15 minutes. And so I heard that and I ran to the back. We had a bunch of food back there and I brought a cookie for him and his friend. They're, like, all pretty jazzed up about that. A couple of weeks before that, Chuck's dad's actually started coming to the church uh, as well, and he normally comes to the first service, and I noticed that, and that his son would normally come to the second service, like I said, and I turned around that day, and I was like, hey, you know, Chuck, you're a great guy, but what kind of a deadbeat doesn't come to church with his dad and sit with him? Like, what is the matter with you? Like, start sitting with dad. Like, I mean, come on. Now, the reason I tell you all this, I promise there, there is a reason I'm telling you these random stories right now. Um, it, it's not to show you how down to earth I am, how good I am at busting Chuck's busting Chucks. Uh, That's not the case at all. Uh, The reason that I know things about Chuck, like the fact that he doesn't particularly care for Chick-fil-A, and we're working through that part of our relationship here. The reason I know these things is because we have been in a group together. I have never done anything like that with a person that I only interact with here on Sunday mornings. Not that I don't want to, it would just be weird because I don't feel like I really know you. I'd be afraid at how you would respond. I'd be afraid at offending you. I'd be afraid that you'd look like, gosh, you're like the most brutal guy ever to my kid right now. But because, the, we, because the, I know Chuck, because I know Erica, because we've been in a group together and we've laughed and we've cried together and we've had more meaningful conversations than how's your week been? All that stuff, it kind of feels natural. So, so we're wired for community. We all are, got it. We, we all want to be known. But, but here's why connect groups really are the most important thing that we do around here. You need to be known. Deep down, we all want to be. But, but you need to be. Christian or not, we all need to be known. There's a book that we have in the Old Testament, kind of the first half of the Bible, and it's titled Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by a guy that went by the name of Solomon. Solomon isn't like some fictitious character. In fact, you can read about Solomon in other history books, not just biblical history books. He was a king, one of the wealthiest men to have ever roamed the earth, but also a little side note on Solomon. He's widely considered to be one of the wisest people to have ever lived. And in this book of Ecclesiastes, he basically just shares a bunch of observations during his time on earth. And what he's saying throughout the book is like, you know something I've figured out? And chances are, if you slowed down enough that you would probably figure out as well. And he shares one of these things in the fourth chapter. He says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. He's like, I've noticed that something is pretty worthless. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. And again, Solomon understood this well, arguably the the, the wealthiest person on the face of the earth. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It, It is all so meaningless. It's all so depressing. He's going, when you work so hard and you accumulate all these material things for yourself, but you have no community to share it with, it's actually quite depressing. Because all these material possessions serve as a reminder of this void that you have been trying to fill with stuff but can only be filled with people. 
You were created for community, and life is just flat out better when you have that connection with other people. He continues, he says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. As I was writing, as I was preparing this, I was like thinking and like almost chuckling to myself, can you imagine, honestly, like, like if I was just the only guy and I was just running everything around here, like it was just like me on Sunday mornings, I'm like shaking hands and I'm sprinting on stage, like welcoming people and I'm running back there and tweaking like the knobs and stuff. I don't even know what they do. And I come up here and I start playing a guitar. I mean, you just heard my singing, not all that great. Like if it was just me running all over the place, the, 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 the reason that, that Grumlaw has had any impact on this community is because of the community of people, because of the connection that, that these people share. And it's not just staff members. It's way bigger than that. It takes like 100 people to pull off what we do here every single Sunday. A, a glaring example of this was this past summer uh, when we had our first ever community movie night. And we saw over a thousand people show up from right here in, in Grand Blanc, and it kind of took a small army to pull it off. It wasn't just staff members. And it was really, really encouraging because the way that we recruited volunteers to be a part of this is all we did was reach out to the Connect Group leaders. We say, hey, would your group be willing to help us at this, this movie night? And we saw over a hundred people sign up and say, yeah, we want to help. All because they have that sense of community with each other. They want to see each other succeed. They want to be a part of whatever that person is a part of. So success is great, and I'm sure you guys have heard this before, accomplishing more together. It's a great perk of community, but, but here's why community really matters. Here's why you need to be known. Here's why I am going to beg you to sign up for a connect group, why you need to be in a connect group. He says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Chances are, this, this probably doesn't really sound all that profound, but it goes back to what we already touched on. Our natural inclinations will rarely lead us in the best directions. And, and as you are heading in those less than ideal directions, you need people that will reach out and help. Or you will find yourself alone in real trouble. Solomon goes on to mention, he says, a person standing alone could be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And I think Solomon would go on to say, four is even better, and five is even better than that, and six is even better than that. Here's why I think he was actually saying this. He's pointing out again something that I think deep down we already know. Not only... Do our natural inclinations lead us in the wrong directions? But rarely do you even notice that you're wandering. Come on, we've all experienced this. You don't even recognize you're heading in that wrong direction until the damage and the danger and the regret is staring at you right in the face. You don't even recognize you're dating Mr. Wrong. You don't even realize how you're racking up that debt. You don't realize that your marriage is deteriorating. You haven't put it together that your child is displaying a pattern of really poor decision making. But if you have a community, chances are they do. Because others can see what you can't. And every single one of you, Christian or not, have experienced this. These moments where you're looking at a situation from 5,000 feet and you are going, what in the heck is wrong with them? How do they not see this? How is this not more obvious to them? How does she not recognize what a loser that guy is? 
How did they not realize the poor financial decisions that they are making over and over and over again? And I'm telling you, if you don't have those others, you'll just keep stacking up regrets, you'll keep stacking up problems, and you will continue to learn those lessons the hard way. You need to be known. You need that connection. You, you need that community. Community is the best defense against the wandering in you. As we close this up, can, can you just dream with me for a second? And I know for some of you, this will be harder than others because our paths all look different. But, but can you think back to some of your biggest regrets? So, so some of your biggest, like, what was I thinking moments? And, and dream with me and imagine if, if you would have had those people in your life, that, that, that community of people that was willing to have that conversation with you, that, that, that was willing to pull you aside and be like, did you realize what you're doing? Did, did you recognize how the regrets are already stacking up? And again, this is why you need a community because if it's just one person, we are capable of endless self-deception. We will look at them and we'll say, you are out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. We will get so defensive. But if it's a community of people, if it's five, six people coming around, we are so much more likely to listen. And imagine the regret it would have saved you. Imagine the problems that you would have never had if people were willing to have those types of conversations. If you knew that there were people in your corner and when they spoke, even if they were hard truths, you knew that it was coming from a place of love because they are for you. Whether you realize it or not, you need to be known because others can see what you can't. And community is the best defense against the wandering in you. So sign up for a group. Go find that community that we all know is not easy to find.